blitz. McIntyre to the pylon, walks in with a touchdown. An interception thrown by Martinez. It's picked off by guess who? Nate Landman. Blitz from Nebraska. Montez takes a shot. Drops it in to Chanel. Touchdown. That is that inside fade. That's all the room. Even with the safety over the top, so perfectly thrown to Montez. And the biggest difference maker here in 60 minutes of action shows it yet again. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster, Tiger Publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here as always with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, we're recording this one a little earlier than we normally do, but we got the energy drink, so we'll we'll try to power through. Yeah. I think the last two games gives a little energy as well. So <laughs> Yeah. There have been worse uh worse podcasts to be had here on this Buff Stampede in in years past. So back to back CSU Nebraska wins will always help out. Buff Stampede Radio is once again brought to you by EverPillow by Infinite Moon. It's ever customizable and everything you could want in a pillow. They did their research and sourced the best natural materials for you for the best price. Oh, and it's ridiculously comfortable. When your new EverPillow arrives, it will come with a drawstring bag to store your extra fill so you can customize the loft and shape to give you the perfect spinal alignment. Why not customize your pillow and say goodnight to kinked necks and morning aches and pains? EverPillow, made by us, perfected by you. Go to infinitemoon.com and use GoBuffs in the cart to receive 10% off your next purchase. You had to have a lot of fun in Lincoln, Tyler. You were out there. You're our fan correspondent, so you got to in, indulge a little bit. Kind of walk us through your your uh, experience out there. Yeah, a little bit for sure. Uh, it was awesome, man. Um, that new section, I think it's called Haymarket, over by the new basketball arena there. It's close to the uh, football stadium as well. It's pretty cool. Had the this place called the Rail Yard, which basically was just an open beer garden, for lack of a better term, with a bunch of restaurants and bars attached to it place was packed both nights we were there uh, a couple rooftop bars berries was a pretty good spot and i mean everybody was super welcoming uh it was almost to the point of annoyance honestly because you couldn't talk any trash at all because everybody was way too nice to you people were excited that we were playing each other again so yeah i mean the fans not on twitter yeah why um, why are they they're like the meanest cold-hearted fan base on social media but seemingly the nicest in person yeah i mean I don't know if it's just fake or if there's just a lot of, you know, people who are in the middle of Podunkville being Nebraska fans running their mouths that didn't actually go to the school or go to the games or any of that kind of stuff is, I guess, what I would say. But, I mean, you ever get a chance to go to a game there, the hospitality was pretty incredible. Yeah, it was a great experience for me, too. Most of my time was spent in the stadium. Uh, in terms of the game... Fans were starting to freak out, at least on social media, in the second quarter when things yeah. were kind of unraveling. I saw a tweet by you that you were like, it's going to be okay, guys, or something along those lines. What was it that made you uh, feel that they were in a spot where they could come I back mean, in the second half? I don't even know if it was necessarily that. It was just like we didn't play great, and it was still a game. Down four at halftime and get the ball to start the second half. Nebraska, you could tell, had some rust to work out. Turnovers early on in the game, penalties. And a couple of their special teams penalties, like, a blind ref could have called those. I mean, it was pretty unbelievable, some of the stupid things they were doing. So, you know, I mean, it's it was a game. Obviously didn't go perfectly. It never does, though. It's just kind of funny to me how quickly this fan base is like, oh, cancel the season. But they're all feeling pretty dumb now. I think the improved team chemistry really showed itself sure. in Lincoln. And that's one thing that Mike McIntyre talked about, really being proud of this team. You miss a couple of field goals that could give you a lead late. I think last year's team would not have reacted very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this group seemed to have that resiliency. Uh, was that the most positive sign you took out of Saturday? Definitely. I mean, well, you know, the fan base was melting down. The team never seemed to. Uh, made some adjustments in the second half. I mean, they're definitely a more physical group than us. Bigger on both sides of the line. Bigger pretty much everywhere, really. Nebraska was impressive physically, I thought. But we just found ways, you know. Maybe you're not bullying over somebody, but we found ways to get around them. And obviously, we did a good job of using our weapons. Uh, you know, some Nebraska fans are going to say, oh, well, we lost our quarterback. I mean, yeah, we had two of our three starting wide receivers and our left tackle out by the end of that game. So everybody had injuries. We'll get into more of the offensive line. There's This is going to be a mailbag-heavy show. There's a lot of questions about the offensive line, so we'll go really quick here. But 
Is that a major concern for you at this point or, or not necessarily? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's of the concerns. I guess it's the most major right now. I'd like to see how they look against most Pac-12 lines because most of those teams aren't going to have nine guys that are 300 pounds. I mean, Nebraska obviously plays a little more physical brand of football than we typically see in the Pac-12. So this team is built to play Pac-12 teams more or less than, uh, you know, we still went in their building and won. So you got to feel pretty good about this team right now. The glass half full approach would be that Nebraska, again, they had so much depth, so much size. They were running a lot yeah. of stunts and stuff that they hadn't seen in a while. You could see this as a learning experience for them going forward. And, again, I think that might be one of the top two or three defensive lines they face all year. It is, and they didn't look good. I mean, there's no excuses there. Obviously, yeah. it wasn't the greatest game I've ever seen from pretty much any of the linemen. The only guy I didn't really notice completely struggling out there was Hagler. But I haven't watched that closely on film. But, I mean, it, it definitely didn't look good. But, I mean, I was really impressed, obviously, with how Montez stayed poised mm-hmm. throughout. No turnovers despite all that. And there's a lot of opportunities for fumbles and obviously tipped passes and also, you know, th- you know, getting hit while you're throwing the ball. And none of that happened. So that was all awesome. To get sacked seven times and have the game Montez did, it was pretty incredible. He's playing at an all-conference level so far. Yeah, extremely high level. Uh, kind of, I think both of us expected this, honestly, with how poised he seemed in, in uh, fall camp. I mean, he just seemed like he knew what he needed to do in order to be successful this year and felt confident that all of his talent was now reined in in a way that was going to be, you know, sent in all of, all positive momentum. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not shocked by it at this point, and I think it will continue. He's a really good player. Only Justin Herbert has a better passer rating, and he hasn't faced a Power 5 defense yet. Yeah. Uh, it also shows you that you don't need that C on your uh, chest to lead. Uh, great moment with him putting his arm around James Stefano yeah. after his missed field goals. Uh, he's been every he's been more than what we thought he was going to be from that standpoint this year. Definitely, I think you know obviously playing well helps. You know people mm-hmm. are going to rally around you if you're putting up forty points in every game. But yeah, I mean I think he's you know maybe a little bit of a different leader than some of the other guys on the team. But he's worked hard and has backed up his talk so far. And you know obviously the wide receivers have all got to be feeling pretty good right now. It's Bought the you know there's a lot of wealth being spread around, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a good spot to be in when you, for your offense. Steve Montez is playing at an all conference level. Lavisca Chenault and Nate Lamon are playing like all Americans at this point. Yeah, I think you could make an argument that those are the two best at their position in all of football right now. I mean, Landman is unbelievable. We we knew that he was going to be good, but dude, he just takes over. It seems like every single big play, uh, Landman finds a way to get it done, and then obviously Lavisca. I mean, they use him in such a unique way, and he's so talented that you can put him all over the field. I mean, he's just an impossible cover. I don't think there's any possible way that you could scheme to stop him in a, in one particular game. That's the thing, too. It's his versatility that allows him to be as good because if he was just split out wide, other teams would do everything. They'd bracket coverage, right. and they would do everything they could. You can't do that with his skill set. And where he lines up. I mean, he's going to catch the ball from that like middle halfback, fullback position he plays at. And, yeah, you could sell out to stop him, but you're going to have a dude wide open down yeah. the sidelines multiple times a game if you do that. There's just no way to slow him down from that position on the field. Now the fourth down. Yeah. The first, I don't think he got that one. It was close for sure, yeah. <laughs> it, um couple of the play calls, especially there was like a stretch of the game where I was just like, what are we doing right now? Um, they get a little bit predictable at times. And especially on those short yardage situations, it's annoying they don't just go under center. And their argument's going to be, well, they know what we're going to do. And it's like, well, yeah, they knew what you were going to do anyways. So why would you have to run three extra yards to do it? Uh, yeah, that was uh, a little bit crazy. The one on the goal line was pretty awesome. Yeah. He was just bullying boys. That's why that wildcat works because yeah. he's got tree trunk legs. By the time you right. slow down his momentum, he can fall forward for a couple yards. Yeah, as long as someone's not disengaged, like if we completely miss a block, mm-hmm. we might see an issue. But if there's someone engaging you, there's no way you're sending him backwards. The worst news to come out of Lincoln was Alex Kinney suffering a broken collarbone. Uh, no other serious injuries. There was a lot of guys banged up. To mm-hmm. have one guy out serious, with a serious injury, I guess – you, I wouldn't say you take that, but it could have been a lot worse. For sure, yeah. I mean, nothing 
the Kaiser one looked ugly for a minute there, but you could tell by the way he was walking around the sidelines after that it wasn't going to be season ending, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, yeah, Katie and Jawan. I mean, Jawan's been nursing the same injury, it seems like, for a while now. Katie, you could tell, is definitely banged up. It looked like maybe they would miss this game against New Hampshire just to kind of get them right for Pac-12 play because obviously we have the bye coming up. But it sounds like they're going to play, so that's nice. Um, yeah, I mean. Israel you know, Antoine as well. Yeah, Kenny, uh, that's tough. Uh, he's obviously a weapon for us on special teams. Uh, I think it could almost be a blessing in disguise because if you could get him back next year, um, you, I think you're going to feel really good about special teams in a year where the schedule is really tough. But that team could be very, very good next year. Yeah. So um, we'll see. And honestly, I didn't even notice it at the game. So Price didn't do anything to disappoint us so far. And I'm sure there's going to be a point in the season where he has a rough game. Uh, but I think this offense is good enough that there are a lot of the games it won't really be a noticeable issue. The tricky thing would come in is if Kenny does end up redshirting. You brought in Sam Loy, a transfer from Vanderbilt, told him he was going to be on scholarship next year. That would be unfortunate for him. He does have two years of eligibility, so he could potentially in 2020 be the starter, but mm-hmm. it'd be tough for him. McIntyre said they're going to look at it basically in four weeks and see how Kenny's doing at that point uh, with the bye week in there. At that point, if he's ready to go after a month, you probably let him oh, finish yeah. out a senior year. For sure, year. for sure, definitely. I mean, I think we'll be at a point. If all goes well, we're, we're going to be competing for a Pac-12 South championship at that point. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you can get him back, he's an all-conference level guy. As a senior, you're going to bring him back and do everything you can to try to get that down the stretch. A lot of drama surrounding Jacob Collier and the perceived oh uh, dirty play by Nebraska fans. Uh, the Pac-12 is ruled clean. That's just the saltiest crap I've ever seen in my life, man. Like you could video any pile in the country and be like, "Oh, look, he's hanging on to his legs, turning him around." It's like you're taught to not let someone go in the pile until the whistle's blown. That's what he did. He was already injured. Trying to say that that's how he got hurt is ridiculous. I didn't really like how Scott Frost handled it either. Uh, I don't know. It, Frost claims they way had overblown to me. They, I mean, apparently, someone in their fan base called the FBI. Like you guys are lame as hell. <laughs> Apparently, Frost says they have some angle that we haven't seen. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any fallout from this. No, I would be extremely surprised. And if it was, it would be minor at best. Adrian Martinez, though, that kid is pretty special. Yeah, he was good. I was impressed. I mean, I th- we were trying to say stack the box, stack the box. And in that one long touchdown, I think it was in the third quarter, over at Worthington and Fisher. I'm pretty sure it was the third quarter. Um, beautiful throw. Yeah. I mean, he... A couple long, you know, second and third and long conversions as well. He looked very talented. He was one of the most athletic guys on the field. So I hope they can get him back healthy because I think they have a chance to be pretty good with him moving forward, definitely. On his longest run, DJ Elliott dialed up that play perfectly. Abrams just missed, missed. him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was he's an athletic guy, you know, and Abrams, is <laughs> that's his first real competition of his career, Drew Coas. And in Abrams' defense, I thought he was the best secondary player in the game beyond that play, so... New Hampshire comes to town now, and I think this comes at a good time. A really emotional victory. You, I don't think you necessarily want to face off against another elite team this week. No, yeah, I think there's about a 100% chance of a mental letdown this week. I think, honestly, this game, I'm mentally preparing myself for it to be pretty frustrating. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, I saw the spread of 37 points. I'll probably take New Hampshire just because I think it's hard to – do what we did the past two weeks, CSU and Nebraska, and come ready to go. I think if if we cover this week, that says a lot about the approach of this football team, and I'll start to feel even more confident this that this team thinks they can win the Pac-12 because that would be really impressive mental fortitude in order mm-hmm. to come back and be like, all right, we've got New Hampshire this week, no letdowns. We can do that on our bye next week and relax. That would be impressive to me. I know New Hampshire's not any good. But it's just hard to show up for this game after what's happened the past two weeks. And now with this new redshirting rule that lets you play guys four games and still redshirt them, it's games like this you really want to get out to a big lead right? to, to give those guys, let them get their feet wet. Yeah, it'd be the Tad Boyle approach kind of when we play those scrubs. He's always telling the starters, do your job so the walk-ons can get some playing time. Yeah. And uh, I'm assuming McIntyre will do the same thing. Let's get this done and over with so we can get some of these young boys some PT and cheer them on. 
We didn't have a chance to record a podcast last week. Uh, crazy busy week. Life gets in the way so at times. Uh, haven't talked to you since the CSU game. What were kind of your main takeaways from that? It was super satisfying. I mean, just putting them putting them to bed early is always what you want to see. You know, obviously since they've won, they beat Arkansas, so that's you know at this point it's a strength of schedule. You want them to do well. They might even have a chance in Florida this weekend. Yeah, Florida's, Florida's been playing horribly. Florida's not very good either. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, it was nice, though. I mean, dominated all facets of the game. They never had any – there was never a point where the game was not in hand. Uh, more physically dominant, more athletic. I mean, it was exactly what you want to see in your first game against a team that tries to stack themselves up against you every single year. Are you a guy that now cheers for CSU and Nebraska because it makes Colorado's wins look better? I don't know if I, don't know if I would say I'm going to cheer for them. But, I mean, yeah, if they end up having a good season, it looks good for us. I mean, I'm not going to be like, yeah, <laughs> but it could be worse. I think both of them are going to be kind of scrambling to try to make a bowl, so I don't think either of them are going to finish in the top 25 or have nine yeah. wins or anything. I, part of me is cheering for CSU because I feel bad for Mike Bobo. The guy looks like he's 65 years old, and he's really only 44. Yeah, he's definitely been through it, it seems like, the last couple of years. And I, I don't know, man. I mean, their team isn't going to be very good next year either. So they're going to get that spanking again next year. One other note before we jump into the mailbag. Phil Lindsay scores the Broncos' first touchdown in 2018. I mean, unbelievable story. Yeah, it's awesome. I wish I could say I was more surprised, though. <laughs> like, it's still, we're going to look back at the end of this season and be like, y'all really told us that this dude couldn't play in the NFL. He had over 100 total yards first game. I mean, he's going to have 1,000 total yards this year, I bet. As yeah. an undrafted guy. Yeah, it went from undrafted to, is there a chance he makes the team to now all of a sudden he's one of their best and versatile offensive I think weapons. He's not their number one running back because that's Royce and they'll use him to finish out games because of his power. But he's probably the guy who's going to get the most consistent touches throughout the year, especially because he's your kickoff returner as well. Yeah, he's making tackles yeah. as a gunner too. Yep. It just goes to show you when you can dedicate yourself to getting bigger, stronger, and have that work ethic that Philip Lindsay does. I mean, he's, I wouldn't say transformed his body, but he looks quite a bit different. He does. I mean, it's just his mindset, though. He, nobody can tell him he can't do something ever. And he just has that infectious personality that, I mean, he could be bad, and I would still put him on my team just because of how he is in the locker room. I mean, he's an unbelievable guy. And I think, obviously, running backs don't have the longest career typically in the NFL, but it, it would surprise me at this point if he doesn't stick around for a while. All right, Buff Stampede Mailbag. Andrew S. Buffs1 asked, Tyler, on your CU Nebraska prediction, learn from your mistake, buddy. In the future, go with your gut. I know you knew the Buffs had it in them to win, but you didn't trust your instincts. Aside from the obvious, who has impressed you most on each side of the ball? Do you want to comment on the, uh, the prediction? Ah, if I picked the other way, we would have lost. So I'll, <laughs> I'll do it the exact way that I did. I mean, it was a close game. I mean, I absolutely well, could have gone if they don't away. fumble their first two possessions, right. I mean, there's a lot of a I mean, lot of reasons to, for Nebraska to, to have won that football yeah, game. Yeah, that stupid penalty on McIntyre. I mean, there was multiple times where the game was over and Nebraska did something really stupid to blow it up. I mean, not only that penalty, but on that whatever, third and 19, they threw that out. He was wide-ass open, caught the ball, and then just seriously just dropped it. If he had gotten that, they could have just ran out the clock. People didn't even really talk about that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I'll take it for sure. Yeah. Um, you don't mind being wrong here. There was a, It was a 91% chance Nebraska was going to win the game right. at one point yeah, right in the that, fourth quarter. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, it's – listen, I said exactly why I made that prediction, to protect myself, because <laughs> I didn't want to – if that had gone in the exact opposite way that it did, I would have been – horrified for years yeah so no i mean i'll i'll take being wrong trust me <laughs> the obvious answer is nate Lamon and chenault i would say though steven montez probably has ex- impressed me the most up there with lavisca just in terms of his poise just kept coming back and yeah uh, again showed some leadership there i don't really think there's another choice on offense between oh, us no, two. I, I have two that are way ahead of everybody for me, and Katie Nixon is the first one. Okay. He's been way better than I expected so far this year. We kind of expected him to be behind Jay McIntyre in the pecking order in terms of that. Uh, KB Ento to play a lot more, and Katie's been probably their second-best receiver. So I've been really impressed with him. Uh, defensively, I think Derek Abrams 
I okay. before the year said I didn't think he deserved to be starting, and I think he's been our best secondary player through two games. So both of those guys have been really good for me. And Mustafa Johnson, uh, we thought he was going to be pretty good, but mm-hmm. for him to be as disruptive as sure, he's been, yeah. it's been pretty. He's yeah. the best. That's the best defensive line play in two games in a really long time in season. Definitely, I would put MV if I was asked to rank the guys on the team, he would be above both the guys I mentioned. But I did expect him to be pretty good, so. I wanted to go with somebody that maybe was exceeding how I figured they would play throughout the start of the year. Andrew S. Buff one also asked, I know it's early, but after watching the first two games, are the Buffs better, worse, or about the same as you thought? They're better. Not a ridiculous amount better, I don't think. I would say Nate Lamon is the main reason they're a lot better. I mean, I knew he was going to be good, but to be one of the best linebackers in the country has really elevated their ability on defense. But yeah, I mean, I you know I expected us to blow out CSU. I expected that Nebraska game to be a battle, you know, one way, you know, one possession, one way or the other, and I think we're right there. Now we're two and zero, so that ends up making a huge difference. But so far, I haven't been really surprised. I would say better as well. Even though I, I picked them to win both of those games, it, it comes down to an eyeball test that this team is really passing. Last year, yeah, they were winning games early, but I. Everyone was kind of concerned about the football team, despite the scores of some of those games. You look at the CSU game, had they won it, they could have kind of named their score in that game, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So it's more the eyeball test that this looks like a pretty darn good Pac-12 football team out there. Yeah, they have a lot of depth. They're much bigger than last year in a lot of positions, and they're faster than most of the teams I've watched around the country. I mean... Their wide receiver core is good. <laughs> Everyone said they had no playmakers on this team. And I'm just sitting here giggling about it two weeks later because now everybody around the country is like, ooh, LaVisca Chenault, what a weapon. It's like, yeah, you said he sucked two weeks ago. Weird. They didn't, no, he didn't exist two weeks ago yeah. to a lot of those people. Oh, goodness. Okay, next up we have a question from Black and Gold Josh. He asked, more of a question for Adam, but what was the press box atmosphere like? I remember Nub Media members being insufferable, but that was back in the early 2000s. So I was seated, I don't know why, usually all the CU media is together. I was seated in the middle of all the Nebraska media, and I was like blown away by how much cheering they did throughout the game in a press box. Again, I have nothing against that per se, but it's just really frowned upon. They give you a little warning in the press box, cheering's not allowed. But these guys were flat out living and dying with every play, at least in the area that I was. Uh, it, again, it didn't bother me, but it was pretty unprofessional. Yeah, I mean, I can't really honestly talk any crap about this because I think that's one of the most annoying things about this job Yeah, is everybody being like, nah, you can't root for anyone. And that's what I've liked actually about ESPN and SportsCenter and all that. In the last four or five years, you've really started to learn about some of these guys mm-hmm. and who their allegiances lie with. And I think that stuff is cool as long as you're not embarrassing yourself. <laughs> so there's a fine line, obviously. Uh, sounds like they were well over that fine line. <laughs> and there's a few other fan base media members that I could point out as well that we deal with on a daily basis. But, you know, obviously I'm a fan correspondent, so I get to do whatever I want, basically. But... I like that aspect of how media is moving. Like, I like that you can be like, yes, I root for this team. That's okay in my eyes, as long as you aren't inherently biased and just... Well, that's the whole thing, is people don't want just somebody that's going to toe the company line 100% of the time. David Platty, though, I'm glad he wasn't sitting where I was, because he would have had a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) The people, if they cheer Uh, in the CU press box, get yelled at very quickly. Uh, again, it, it didn't bother me. It was just, I was kind of taken aback. I saw Rod Mackey tweet out yeah, yeah. something I that, that uh, I guess cheering in the press box doesn't apply here in Nebraska. And I saw one of the replies was, come on, this is all they have. Let them have it. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It is true. Yeah. All right, let's move along. Pekla asked, I've not had time to watch the game again, but it looked like Sherman played well at left tackle. What are your thoughts on who should start there next week? And Buff Predictor asked, is the current starting five really the best we have on the offensive line? How, after years of churning out mediocre lines, is Adams able to garner as much support and fidelity from some in the athletic staff as he does? It seemed like Sherman played well. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't key on it too much. Honestly, I thought he was pretty mediocre live. 
okay. um, during the game. There was a couple of plays where he got bullied for sure, but to say that I was keying on them would be a lie. So it might have just been, you know, bad luck of the draw for him on when I saw him. But I mean, obviously Kaiser wasn't any good either, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to really blame him. Obviously, walking into that game against that size is tough. So. Um, I'd like to actually, I mean, obviously I don't know much about the line, but I'll watch it back again. I've watched it once to see if everybody improved. But, yeah, I mean, no one no one really stood out as good in that game for sure. I think this week against New Hampshire, especially since Josh Kaiser got banged up in the last game, you'd like to see Sherman either start or play a ton of football in this game just to yeah. give him some experience and have a better look at what he can bring you on game day. I think it'll really tell you whether or not they plan on playing Moretti this year too because if he doesn't play in this game, you might as well just put that to bed. To answer his question, is this current starting five the best? Well, if Moretti's leg is holding up, then no, he's a guy you want out there. Uh, I wouldn't even be surprised at some point this year if Kaiser is struggling and, and Sherman doesn't play really well that Frank Phillip even gets a chance in there. The staff yeah, is super high play, on him. They can play him four games. I don't know. The interior of the line was honestly the most frustrating to me. Why not to not have a good game? And Purcell honestly was getting pushed around quite a bit as well. So both of those were surprising to see. Boulder Level 3 asked, seeing how J-Mac was a quarterback in high school, have we used him in a play-action passing attack in the past? He did throw a pass back in 2016. It was like a 14-yard play. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens at some point this year. Definitely not. He's got he can throw the ball well. Um, people have been asking me about Lavisca and if he's going to throw out of the Wildcat. I would be a little surprised. He doesn't have the greatest arm I've seen from what I've seen so far. What we'll about see. the the Tebow jump pass up right the on Wildcat. the goal line yeah. for sure? But I don't think he's going to be throwing any thirty yard bombs. But hopefully, <laughs> I'm wrong. <laughs> Colorado asked, "Who is the better receiver, Nikhil Harry at ASU or Lavisca?" Any modified predictions for the season based on what we have seen out of the teams in the conference? Harry or Visca, your GM, who who you taking? That's a hell of a choice to have. I don't think I'd be too disappointed with either. Honestly, I haven't watched a ton of Nikhil Harry, but he's a first-round pick, so I guess you have to go with him right now. I think Visca will end up being a first-round pick too, but... I don't know. It's hard hard to go wrong. I, I think, think you yeah. You ask Arizona State fans; they're not trading Harry for Lavisca, right. and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to take Visca just because I love his personality and how versatile he is. But obviously, Nikhil Harry is a very special player too. I mean, I think you can say they're the two best receivers in the conference, right? Yeah, him and JJ Arcego, those two, and JJ Arcego Whiteside are probably the three that are going to make the most noise. DBW Buff asked, how do we explain Visca's playing time last year? Or I guess we should say lack thereof. We we talked <laughs> multiple times on the podcast last year. Uh, uh, we don't. <laughs> yeah, you don't have an explanation for that. And not to say that as a true freshman kind of learning the offense, LaVisca should, not, should have been out there 100% of the time last year. Yeah. But it was every time seemingly he was targeted, he made a big play or – uh, that one where he prevented an interception, he was just constantly making plays in the l- limited action he had. You had to have at least five to ten plays with him involved, or you know, at least on the field last year. Yeah, there's no reason that he. I mean, what did he have? Six catches. Is it wasn't. Right? It wasn't a lot. Yeah, I don't I'm know. Pretty the sure exact it was six number. catches. That's like that's. It doesn't make any sense. Sorry to <laughs> say, like I'm not going to defend it at all. So. Well, they've overcompensated, or not overcompensated, but they've compensated this year by having all these packages, you know, for him. Yeah, I mean, he's going <laughs> to yeah, he's, he's get the ball plenty this year. Buffet-Z asked, other than Landman, actually, did we skip, we skipped, oh, the Colorado asked, any modified predictions on the season based on what we've seen out of the teams in the conference? Well, we kind of talked about where they're at compared to what we expected. Based on other teams, I mean, yeah, Arizona's trash. And they were expected to compete for the South. So you have to feel pretty good about our chances of moving up a little bit higher. Um, UCLA, we, I thought they were going to be bad. Uh, they're really bad. So, I mean, you got to feel good there. ASU's been definitely more impressive than expected so far. Uh, USC's been honestly what I thought. They're, I think they're beatable this year. Um, so, yeah, the South is definitely more up for grabs than I think expected to start the year. So I would, I would move up my predictions there. USC might become this at some point in the season, but right now the three best teams in the conference are in the North. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, even Utah struggled a little bit, or didn't 
perform as well as you yeah, expect. Yeah, both teams. I mean, they but were they, Utah does that seemingly every year. Yeah, they were down 10-0 to Weber. I mean, ended up winning the game comfortably. But, yeah, I mean, kind of an ugly game in Northern Illinois as well. So, yeah, they haven't – they're 2-0. and And, you know, at Northern Illinois is probably not the easiest place to play ever. But, yeah, they certainly haven't lit anybody up so far. Aren't they one of the most we-play-to-our-opponent teams out there? <laughs> you could put – you could trade any roster in the they could you could put Alabama's roster at Utah and they would still go eight and four. <laughs> That's just what they do. All right, moving along. Buffet asked, other than Landon, why is the tackling technique so poor on defense? Has Coach Mack cut back on physical practices to avoid injury and follow the NCAA minimal contact recommendation? They did. They went thud in that scrimmage you were at, so mm-hmm. they've definitely limited uh, contact to avoid injury. Yeah. Not being at every other team's practices, though, it's hard to kind of compare that to what other teams do in the preseason. Yeah, I mean, I also thought they got a lot better in the second half. I mean, they gave up seven points in the whole second half, no points in the fourth quarter. I think the main thing that's been frustrating right now for me is Evan Worthington has been bad, like shockingly bad. I don't know. What's, I mean, he obviously didn't play a ton in preseason, so he's probably just getting up to speed a little bit. But tackling has been poor he's been getting crushed in coverage as well I mean pretty much every long play was over Worthington in that game so hopefully he picks it up I, I didn't you know there was some other mishaps throughout the game but I mean they're a big physical team you're going to miss some tackles and obviously you got to get used to that because they're much different than CSU uh, it wasn't great but I thought it got better throughout the game so that's what you want to see Worthington missed a lot of spring ball with a concussion missed quite a bit of camp with a concussion was mm-hmm. held out of scrimmage stuff it might be partly rust, and he also did have whatever that was in the CSU game where he got knocked out for a yep. bit. So um, I don't think he's 100% in terms of health or just having all those reps mm-hmm. under his belt either. I, I would assume he'll get better as the season goes on because he's pretty talented. Yeah. Go Buffs, 80. Also, he asked two questions here. What do you think the Huskers will do in Big Ten this year? I was impressed with them and think they can get seven wins this year. His other question was, the O-line was off and on all day, but in the second half it looked like Sherman played well, and we had some good runs on the drives when we missed both kicks. What do you guys think the O-line will look like when we play UCLA? Go Buffs. First question, what do you think the Huskers are going to do in in Big Ten play? Assuming it sounds like Adrian Martinez is going to be fine. Yeah, I didn't look close enough to their schedule, but they look like a team who's definitely going to make a bowl to me. I mean, the Big Ten sucks. so Yeah, Wisconsin's really the only elite team in their division. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of bums in the Big Ten, so they should be able to win a couple of games. Now, obviously, there's 14 teams, so sometimes your schedule might hurt you a little bit there. But, yeah, I mean, I guess we'll find out. But they looked like a physically impressive group. I'd be surprised if they don't perform well in the in the Big Ten. What do you think the O-line's going to look like when they play UCLA? Probably how it looked right now, except for maybe Sherman sliding in there. Uh, we didn't really see anybody else come in and, make an impact besides that there, so I don't expect it to look too different. Hate the Huskers ass. Special teams always seems to win or lose us a game every year. I think the Kenny loss is huge and can't be underestimated. Who takes over, Price or Stefano or someone else? Do they have any experience at all, or are we going to see a lot more going for it on fourth down a la Oregon? And what the hell happened with Stefano this week? Was it because Kenny wasn't holding, or was it just a case of the shanks? Obviously, we talked about Davis Price taking over there. He mentioned that he didn't even really punt in warm-ups because, again, I mean, you can't blame him. You don't expect your punter to get hurt. That happens mm-hmm. very rarely. Uh, he was 40.8 uh, yards with his average there. If he warms up, he's going to get a little bit more practice reps, even though McIntyre said he was getting 40% of the reps before. You might see that improve a little bit. McIntyre mentioned he can do the rugby, so you might see some of that. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely not going to be Alex Kinney, so we might as well just admit that to ourselves right now. But I don't think he's going to be bad. It's hard so, to say he's going to lose see you a game. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, it's it's it would be hard to blame him even if that does happen. You know, like it's not his job. So, you know, it's you know he'll do the best he can with the situation that we've got. And I think people just need to lay off him a little bit because he's, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I don't think he wants to be our starting punter either. So, you know, he's a kickoff guy, and that's what he's good at. And he got put on scholarship, and now he's definitely going to earn it this year. McIntyre said Stefano crossed over his body a little bit on those two yeah, that he, he missed. pulling everything. I mean, he was two for four. Like, let's stop pretending like he was 0 for 8. <laughs> you know, like, yes, they were huge kicks, and you don't expect him to miss. He's been super reliable, but... I mean, if two for four is the worst he's going to be, I would think you'd be pretty happy with that. He's 20 of 
20 of 28 in his career now. I'm not really worried about James Stefan moving yeah. forward, especially given that he's an older guy and yeah. he's got the support of his team. I don't think right. I mean, you could tell by the reaction, no one was pissed off. I mean, people haven't seen that from him. They trust him to make kicks. I don't think. Well, we'll see. If it becomes an issue, it becomes an issue. But right now, I have zero worry about James Stefan. He was solid enough that when he missed that one, it was like, wow, it was kind of shocking. Almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When he missed two, it was like... Yeah, it was definitely shocking. The first one was short, so that one definitely surprised me. The second one I was a little more nervous about, but... Ryan J11211 asked, No pod last week was a bummer. I always look forward to them. Can you guys explain the defensive improvement in the second half? Seven points and less than 200 yards of offense for Nebraska versus 10 yards per play in the first half. Everyone says adjustments, which I'm sure there were. I must admit, I am no football expert in football schematically. All I can see is the results. It's easy to see in hoops how defenses adjust, double teaming, trapping the pick and roll, soft show, etc. However, in football, I'm not so sure. The personnel in the second half seems similar. Curious if you guys had thoughts on what changed in the second half. Thank you again. I know one thing they were told at halftime was to tackle low because that was an issue. They were going up too high in the first half. I mean... People always forget this aspect of it as well, and it's that, well, we went three and out four times in a row in the first half. That's a good way to get your defense in some trouble. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we moved the ball a lot better in the second half, and we weren't on the field the whole time, so that makes your defense better. You know, they made adjustments, yeah, and, you know, started to get a little more physical. I felt like we rushed the passer a little bit more, got some more blitz packages in in the second half. Yeah, I mean, if you're on the field, 10 out of 15 minutes on defense, you're going to start giving up chunk plays against a team that's already bigger and more physical than you, for sure. So I think just being able to move the ball offensively helps more than anything else. McIntyre mentioned that because they didn't have film, they saw some things they weren't expecting, and they mm-hmm. kind of adjusted to that. Again, I'm not an expert on the scheme stuff there either. I loved bringing pressure on that last play, and they disguised it. It didn't look like they were going to be pressure. So the quarterback maybe thought for a second he was going to have some time, and then they kind of brought the house. Yeah, I mean, he had to throw it off his back foot running backwards to the corner of the end zone. And the best part, I was so nervous, obviously. I'm sure everybody was. But you could tell immediately as he threw it that the ball was out of bounds. Yeah. So I started celebrating like five seconds early before the ball even got there. I was down on the field at that point, standing by Matt McChesney, and he was like an 11th coach there cheering (laughs) cheering the guys up. Uh, It was pretty awesome we got to keep moving here. I've only got about 10 minutes until i got to get up to Boulder for practice. Vin Buff fan 33 asked, who do you guys predict to be the Buff's next commit? Movie Buff asked, to piggyback anything on Kyle Ford, LaVisca's success can't hurt our chances. So CU is going to be hosting official visitors this coming weekend. One of them is a three-star athlete that I'll have more information on later in the week. We're going to tease that information. Is there anybody else? You have in mind? No, I mean, who knows? You're way more tied into who's going to be the next guy than me. Um, it's going to be someone good, though. This class is nice, and obviously we're making big-time strides. You know, getting Joshua Allen was massive. So, yeah. Kyle Ford, everybody's still predicting USC at this point, but USC keeps struggling. Colorado keeps winning. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, obviously LaVisca is not going to hurt with the wide receivers. <laughs> There's no yeah. doubt. And a lot of guys, oh, LaVisca's got two years, I think we can – Say pretty confidently oh, at this yeah. point. Well, yeah. And then you've got Jawan and, and KB on, and those guys are and Jay are seniors, so there's definitely you can sell playing time along with the success of those guys, and Chivarini's done a great job recruiting him. Uh, so we'll see. Movie Buff also asked, based on the first two weeks, what game left on our schedule is the hardest? Thanks. God, I mean at easy, Washington. Yeah, easy at even. Washington. That hasn't changed. I would say even more so than before with USC looking a little more yeah. beatable. Yeah, at Washington, easily the toughest game left. Durs asked, after watching two weeks of football, what record do you think the Buffs will finish with? Does the performance of some Pac-12 teams, especially in the South, change things? Talked a little bit about that. My prediction was 7-5. and five. Mm-hmm. Were you 7-5 and five or were you 6-6? Yeah, six six? Nope, I was 7-5 and five as well, and honestly right now I would probably push that to 8-4. and four. Yeah, I would do the same thing. Um, it's partly see you passing the eyeball test and some other teams not. Taser94 asked, have our chances improved for Spencer Lytle? Or LaVisca's little brother. Adam, did you enjoy Lincoln? Uh, Spencer Lytle's committed to Wisconsin. That's not going to change. He was actually at the in Lincoln watching uh, the game. Oh, really? But, yeah, he's not changing. And LaVisca's little brother was not necessarily a top priority recruit anyway. So Yeah. Uh, did I enjoy Lincoln? The 95% of it was in the press box. 
Uh, <laughs> they had good food. It was a great game to cover. I even got a bear hug from Mike McIntyre walking to the post-game press conference. So it was fun. It was a good two days, and I don't ever have to do it again. Because <laughs> I don't think <laughs> they're going ever. back there after I know, year, but, but I don't know if I could ever. It, I, could it be better than that experience? Probably I, not. I think maybe I have had my Lincoln experience for my life. <laughs> King KB asked, 100% not a complaint, but I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on Ento's role so far this season. As best I can tell, he's had zero targets in two games. Couldn't say for sure if he's even been on the field. Any chance he's hurt? Again, hard to complain with the production out of the wide receiver group. Was just hoping the guy would get some uh, chances after being so selfless with the red shirt last season. He was targeted at least once in the CSU game. Yeah, he was in once um, Juwan and KD went out in the Nebraska game as well. So he played most of the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer. Obviously, I had high expectations for him this year. Um, expected him to have a pretty big season. He's a selfless guy that deserves to have a big senior year. But, I mean, there's just a lot of guys that are playing really well right now. Um, I'd like to see him get a little more involved. I was a little surprised to see Tony Brown go in before him. But, yeah, I mean, you're not going to see him complain. He goes in and he does a great job blocking downfield. I noticed that a lot in the CSU game. He's a great player on special teams. He's always down Mm -hmm. there, one of the first guys down there. So I hope he keeps positive attitude because I feel bad. I mean, he deserves to have – a huge game. I hope they give. I hope they throw the ball at him twenty five times in the New Hampshire game because he deserves that. Another thing that's made it tough for him to see the field too is Tony Brown was one of the big standouts, made the biggest jump. Cheverini told me during camp, and we saw him make a fantastic play on third down. He told mm-hmm. me it was an option route, and he read it perfectly. So, I mean, you got to put the guys on there out there that are going to give you the best chance to win. And, and it's not to say KB Onanto couldn't be that guy at some point this year. Yeah, I mean, it's not like the, the guys in front of him aren't struggling, so it makes it tougher, you know. Again, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by Everpillow. Tyler, you said the next time a guest was going to stay here, they were going to use it and give you a review. Has that happened yet? Nope, nobody stayed here. I haven't even stayed here since last time we podcasted. <laughs> I've been all over the place, man. <laughs> my daughter's still uh, keeping possession of the Everpillow in my house, and if it, if it makes her happy, then she can keep it. But, yeah, I don't think I'm getting that back anytime soon. Go to infinitemoon.com and use Go Buffs in the cart to receive 10% off your next purchase. It really is a fantastic pillow, so if you're... In the market for a pillow, definitely support uh, this company, uh, Big Buff supporters, so you definitely want to uh, help them out. CS Buff asked, as Bishrat continues to be the third running back on the depth chart, is there any renewed interest in moving him to the defensive side of the ball? Tyler, that ship has sailed. It's He's going to be a bit player on offense, and they used him very creatively in the CSU game. He caught a touchdown. It was a great, great moment for him. Yeah, I mean, that's about what you're going to get from him, I think. I mean, he's not going to get a whole lot of touches. He'll probably play a ton in New Hampshire if all goes well. Uh, good special teams guy. I think that's kind of what his career will be. Catnip Lover 420 asks, any insights as to Mac's personal response to the Huskers submitting video of Collier to the ref offices? Uh, Pac-12 deemed a clean. I don't, McIntyre doesn't need to do anything at this point. Yeah, <laughs> he probably thinks it's as ridiculous as we do. Dorno9 had two questions. Number one, it's pretty obvious that Mac prefers more trim offense alignment. Does the game in Lincoln make him second think that philosophy? We'll start with that first question there. No, we play in the Pac-12. You're trying to cater your team to be as do- dominant as you can in the conference. You play 75% of your schedule in. It is a bit, bit of a misnomer when he says more trim offensive linemen. They want guys at 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Like, you saw how aggressive they were with Aaron Hagler that, no, you cannot stay at 270 pounds and play in this conference. Yeah, yeah I mean, they want guys to be, you know, they don't want 270-pound linemen, but I don't think they want Nebraska, 322 average weight. His other question was, will the national media discount Visca and Montez stat, line, stat lines because of the one-yard flip pass that we seem to run several times a game. You, you're giving national media people too much credit. They usually <laughs> look at stats more than they actual, actually have chance to, to really sit down and watch CU games. And I could give a crap less if they discount him or not. He's on my team and I get to watch him win football games for us, so it's cool with me. Um, I mean, I don't know. In two games, national media seems to be all over LaVisca already. So, Well, you definitely can't discount LaVisca because he's – getting the ball near a lot of traffic if he's catching short passes, right? 
Yeah, I mean, they're talking about the one where he's coming across the formation and they throw it right in front of him. Oh, okay. Like a little yeah, pitch. Yeah. That's the play he's talking about. Okay. And, yeah, I mean, it's obviously kind of a cheap completion, I guess. But you have to be a certain type of player to have success running that. Yeah. So not a lot of people can do it. So I think most people will say it just adds to his versatility. Trapped in Buckeye land also asked two questions. Why are the outside linebackers so non-existent in this defense? And is Clayton Adams feeling any pressure to get his offensive line to play better? Uh I wouldn't say the outside linebacker's non-existent. No, Davion Taylor's been fantastic in both games. So that's a little surprising to me. I thought Carson Wells has played pretty well. Collier's played pretty well. Even NJ's played pretty well. It's just they're overshadowed by I mean, Nate yeah, Land. Nate Landman <laughs> makes every tackle, so it's hard to, like, yeah, they're not Nate Landman maybe, but honestly I've been impressed with the outside linebackers so far. I thought they've all looked good. And Davion Taylor's stats haven't been terrific, but if you watch film, he's right there with Landman on pretty much every big play, and he's all over the field. He's been very impressive to me so far. Clayton Adams, I mean, feeling pressure? I, yeah, any coach is going to feel pressure if their unit is not sure, playing I, that I well. Sure, I bet he's feeling pretty happy right now, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 2-0 with the win in Nebraska. He's probably had worse days. Again, we'll see how this – I know everybody <laughs> wants to overreact. It's one game, and it was a concern going in, so it kind of amplifies it. But I, I expect that unit to play better in, in the rest of the season. They, they, yes, they might struggle at Washington in some games, yeah. maybe mm-hmm. a, a, against Utah. Yeah, USC. You know, like, yes, there are some teams that have physically dominant D-lines, and we're going to struggle against some of those teams. But for the most part, we'll be fine, I'm sure. D. Howe 888 asked, 10 games left. Do we win more than we lose the rest of the way? Why wins and losses? We better. Well, we both said that we would now say – Eight and four would be our prediction, right? Mm-hmm. That means they would go six and four the rest, so that would be more wins than losses. Yep. Walter T asked, on a scale of one to ten, how much of a oh no? He says on a scale 10. of ten to ten, how much of a whiner is Frosty Boy? <laughs> so I guess we we don't really have much wiggle room with this this rating here. But just so between this and the national championship BS that they tried to pull at UCF, I'm starting to think this dude's kind of a tool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to Scott Frost, but a couple of things have definitely rubbed me the wrong way. If you had a 1 to 10, are you giving Frosty Boy a 10? 27. 27. All right. Real quick, Tyler, we got to run through your Pac-12 power rankings. All right. So we do this. I try to, you know, switch these around. Am I doing 12 to 1? I forget how we do this. Yep. 12 to 1. So I'm pretty sure everyone can guess who 12 is. Arizona. Arizona. Um, yikes. <laughs> People thought they might win the back 12 South this year. Uh, they suck. Noah Mazzoni does not know how to drive a Mercedes-Benz because he no. inherited one there. Yeah. It's been... Like, he wasn't going to be as good as he was last year They because teams were going to figure something out. It's like out. watching a train wreck. But with like people in the way and stuff. Okay. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, UCLA, not much better. Okay. They uh, they suck too. Chip Kelly not off to a good start there. They've been getting smashed. They covered against Oklahoma by one point because they took their starters out in the fourth quarter. So at least they got that going for them. Um, Oregon State, number ten. Okay, gotta love it. This is the highest they'll be all year probably. They've been racking um, up a lot of yards with uh, Brian yeah. Lindgren up there. Yeah, man, Brian Lindgren, stud. Uh, they won a game, so shout out to them. I'm actually at Utah at nine, which I think will surprise a lot of people. They are two and zero, but looked ugly in both games. Uh, I think they got a lot more to prove. I haven't seen a ton from them yet. Washington State, I have at eight. Uh, pleasantly surprised by them, honestly, so far. I actually thought they would lose straight up to Wyoming, and they ended up giving them a uh, pretty big whipping. So, so far off to a good start. Obviously, they have a lot going on in that program right now, so it's nice to see them mm-hmm. bounce back a little bit. Uh, I have USC. What does that make that? Seven, yeah. USC, I have it seven. Um, they haven't looked great in either game either so far. Obviously, they're young and they'll probably get better throughout the year. But Stanford dominated that game, um, so they got a ways to go. Actually, have Oregon at six, which isn't really a measure of how good I think they are. It's just that they haven't done anything yet. They beat two scrubs. Um, we'll have to see if they once they play somebody with you know a little better schedule, they'll move up for me. I'm sure. Uh, Cal, I have at five, two and zero. They have two. Fairly good wins, I think, North Carolina, and then they won at BYU, so that's a pretty nice win. Um, they look like a team that's actually pretty competent so far in the Pac-12. 
have us at four. Uh, obviously, the Nebraska win's huge. I think on a national scale, though, our two wins matter a lot less to everyone else than they do to us. Um, so compared to what some of the other teams in the conference have done, I think that's probably a fa- uh, safe place to put them right now. Uh, Arizona State, three. I think they're probably the most surprising team in the Pac-12 right now. Obviously, beating Michigan State's big. Um, they are now ranked, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, they've looked a lot better than I expected in both of their games so far. Uh, Stanford, two. Uh, you could definitely make an argument for them being one. Um, they struggled a little bit in their first game. Obviously, took out USC and looked pretty comfortable doing so. I still th- I have Washington, one. They lost in basically a true road game at Auburn, had a chance to win the game down the stretch. I still think they're the clear-cut best team in the Pac-12, so that's where I've got them for now. Yeah, we have Pac-12 rankings now on 24-7 Sports and all the publishers. Ours are fairly similar. We had Stanford number one, uh, Oregon a little bit higher on her list, but mm-hmm. pretty pretty close. To, to yeah, I mean, you could Oregon, you could. I had three honestly when I first put the list together, but there's a lot of two and O teams that have just had better wins. So at this point in the season, they'll move down. I'm sure they'll move up as teams go throughout the year. I think they're probably the third most talented team in the conference. No men's basketball topics. Well, I guess we could mention that Derek White is on what the qualifying team for. Yeah, for the USA. Yeah, I don't know exactly what that team is. I, that's pretty cool. Can't imagine he's going to make that team, but it's a cool yeah. experience nonetheless. Yeah. And I actually have some men's basketball recruiting info that's going to be up on the site this week. They only have one scholarship available for 2019. It's a recruit that's going to be coming out the weekend of the UCLA football game. And they feel really good about their chances with him. So definitely pick, check out the site for that. Tyler, thanks for uh, waking up early today, joining me on the podcast. Uh, we'll figure out a time to uh, record again here in the near future. Obviously, New Hampshire this week, then the bye week. Uh, and really two winnable games, UCLA especially, now at mm-hmm. home on a Friday night. Uh, could be looking at uh, 5-0. and Yeah, there's a pretty good chance we're going to beat our over-unders <laughs> before we even lose a game. So that would be pretty nice if that like, came to be. All right, and once again, Buff Stampede Radio was brought to you by the Everpillow by Infinite Moon. Go get you one of them. Have the best rest of your life. Yeah, I almost didn't wake up today because <laughs> of the Everpillow. No, I'm just kidding, but definitely it's awesome. I would recommend it to anyone. And uh, huge Buff fan, so go out there, spend some money on some Buffs. All right, I got to head up to Boulder. Got to go cover a practice. Thanks for tuning in.